It's truly a blessing this time of year. Yes, give the Lord a praise offering. <clears throat> that phrase that we sang, all, all glory be to Jesus Christ, our Lord. It makes a, a new emphasis this time of year, right? It's one of those things that we look forward to, uh, the birth of our uh, Savior. It was way back in June of 2021, we actually started the uh, major prophets all the way back at the beginning of Isaiah. I don't know how many of you actually started with us. I'm so glad that you're here close to the end because tonight we are on the third book of the major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and now Ezekiel, we will be finishing tonight. A year and a half, three books. Isn't that great? Good track record, huh? I'm so glad that you guys are here for the last two chapters of the book of Ezekiel. Uh, we got through halfway last week in Ezekiel chapter 47. I'm going to read uh, starting with verse 7 of 47, and then we'll read up to verse 12. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. And then he said to me, this, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. And there will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea, all the way from Engedi to En Eglam, just as they feel the Mediterranean. But the marshes and the swamps will not be purified. They will still be salty. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall. There will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month. For they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. And so, Father, this evening as we approach this majestic part of your scripture, this majestic part of Ezekiel, uh, this priest without a temple, this priest who literally saw and envisioned the temple destroyed, Jerusalem destroyed, uh, the Spirit of God leaving uh, the temple, leaving Jerusalem, and now to see a, a new temple, a millennial kingdom temple, will last for a thousand years. And then to be able to, to see it and envision it and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this isn't just something that is figurative or metaphorical but it's it's real something that he and his fellow brethren had been looking forward to and even the jews today look forward to and so lord tonight as we look forward to your coming not only your uh second coming but also the privilege of realizing that we have the privilege of celebrating your first coming this time of year it, it is truly a special time. 
We ask that you would focus our hearts upon you, the living water, the water that gives us everlasting life, the water that gives us life that goes on and on and on and on. And so, Lord, I thank you so much for these that are gathered here tonight, those that are watching online. I ask you bless them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Last week we, we talked about this river that started out as a trickle coming out from uh, the very temple itself. And remember, every 1,750 feet, it got a little bit deeper, right? Started as a trickle, went to the ankle, and then went to the knee, and then went to the waist. And then when finally he was able to actually swim in this river, and this living water that's coming out of uh, the temple. What does it do to this uh, sea that is dead, the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea that was known literally from the time when the Israelites had ever come into the land of Israel, known that this sea had been dead, nothing can live there. What, what did this river do to that Dead Sea? It made it alive, right? It healed it, exactly. And we see this beautiful picture where literally people could actually fish from the hillsides around uh, the Dead Sea. If you go to the Dead Sea today, it is literally a, um, uh, a mineral waste deposit area. It is literally being sucked dry of the water and, and the minerals are being mined in this area the salts and everything like that. You can go there today, and literally, if you were to go into the Dead Sea, it is so salty, you cannot sink. It has so much salt content, and because of that, uh, nothing can grow, not only in the water, but even around uh, this area. In fact, these places that are named here, in Gedi and Engalim, uh, these are mentioned in the Psalms. These are the places where David would go to when he was running from Saul. Uh, th this is the place where he would write some of his most uh, beautiful uh, Psalms. A as he's not only in this oasis, up there on one of those hills, looking over this valley of death, the Dead Sea. And now to imagine that this Dead Sea has been coming to life. And when will this happen? We see it at the end of the millennial kingdom. We see this river that's coming out of uh, the temple that gets deeper and deeper, this water of life. And not only will the Dead Sea come to life, but what will happen all around it as well. It says it there at the end uh, that we just read. Yeah, it will flourish. There will be so much fruit trees in this area. In fact, the crops will happen every single uh, month. Uh, the not only the, the fruit itself, but the leaves themselves will be everlasting. So much so that they will not fall off. Uh, an evergreen tree, uh, if you uh, will. So much so that they will be used for uh, healing. So not only will this valley, this dead valley, this dead sea come to life, not only will there be trees all around this area, not only will be fishermen fishing into uh, this sea that was once uh, dead, but the land too will be inhabited fully. 
In fact, this is the rest of the section that we read here in the last chapter and a half of the book of Ezekiel. I, I don't know if you, you know this, but ever since the Israelites ever came into the land, they've never fully occupied it. God, God has given them this promised land, this, this land that was meant for them to occupy. And even when they came out of Egypt looking forward to the promised land, hearing it from the mouth of Moses himself, uh, being proclaimed by Joshua as they, they entered into the land. And yes, they conquered most of the land, but they never fully occupied it. There were always pockets where there was people uh, that were resistant to uh, the Israelites. Even today, if you go to Israel, we have our places there, of course. You guys even hear it on the news, right? Uh, certain areas that are occupied by uh, people other than uh, the Jews. Look what it says there in verse 13. <clears throat> this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Divide the land in this way for the 12 tribes of Israel. The descendants of Joseph will be given two shares of land. Otherwise, each tribe will receive an equal share. I took a solemn oath and swore uh, that I would give this land to your ancestors and it will now come to you as your possession. I don't know about you, but um, we're all into equality right now, right? Everybody has to be equal, especially if an inheritance is involved or, or a, you know, some sort of a gift, right? Especially among kids, right? Everything has to be what? Yeah, fair, equal. And, and this is what God's doing, by the way. But there was always one of the sons or, or one of the inheritors that always would receive a double portion. In, in the Jewish culture, in the Israelite culture, the oldest always got a double portion. The oldest was the one that would not only uh, have to take care of his mom and the land and, you know, relatives and all those kind of things. But, but also as the oldest, there was a, a privilege as well as a responsibility that came with this um, inheritance. But not only that, there had to be perfect dividing lines. I don't know if you've ever fought over a... Um, uh, a property line before, uh, but our property lines very, very important. Are they? Yes, because not only do they make sure that everything is exact, wherever that dot is on your sidewalk or whatever it is that tells you your dividing line from your uh, neighbor, you can't plant trees on his side, he can't trampoline, you know, all the things that you can't do, right? But also, it determines the size of your property too, right? So that when, you know, taxes come along, you know exactly how much you have to pay and all the worth of your property. Well, the same thing for this land. The land of Israel is now going to be divided up perfectly equally. But not like what we normally think. You see, the double share didn't go to the oldest son. You guys know who the oldest son of Israel was, right? You guys know, right? It starts with an R. Say it louder, Ed. Joseph. 
Reuben, exactly, yeah. Reuben was the oldest, but he didn't receive the double portion. Do you guys know who received the double portion? The, the favorite son of, you know, Jacob. Joseph, exactly, you guys know. It says there in uh, chapter 5 of 1 Chronicles, and, and this is a really important section, by the way. You can also read about this at the end of the book of Genesis, too. But it says, the oldest son of Israel was Reuben. But since he dishonored his father by sleeping with one of his father's concubines, his birthright was given to the sons of his brother, Joseph. So when you go to the scriptures and you, you look for the tribe of Joseph, you'll never see it. Do you know why? Yeah, because his sons are the ones that are going to inherit the land. His sons Ephraim and Manasseh are now going to be the ones that inherit the lands of, of Joseph. They get a double portion, double the amount of all the other uh, tribes. But, of course, Reuben is not listed in the genealogical records as the firstborn son. The descendants of Judah became the most powerful tribe and provided a ruler for the nation. But the birthright belonged to Joseph. So even though Joseph gets the double portion, uh, Judah gets the what is called the scepter. The one from whom the Messiah would come. And there's an uh, amazing description of this in the book of uh, Genesis. I love, you know, all these little nuances. Most people come to genealogies, and, and what do we normally do? Yeah, you know, psh, I did that, right? You know, those are hard words to pronounce. Boom, put in my check mark. But, but there's actually some very, very interesting stories because not only was Reuben the first, but Judah was the fourth. So that means there had to have been three other sons eliminated before Joseph could have, or excuse me, Judah could have ever been the one who received the scepter as the firstborn son. You see, we get the first one here, Reuben. Why was he eliminated? Slept with his mother's concubine, or father's concubine, right? Yeah, father's concubine. Make sure that's correct. Yes, 100%. Yeah, a father's concubine. One, one of... His, you know, those other women that are listed as the mothers of his own brothers, by the way, okay? Th those ladies, and he actually slept with one of them. And because of this, he is now eliminated as the firstborn, the one to receive the scepter. But then his next two brothers, Simeon and Levi, they were eliminated as well. It tells about this in the book of Genesis. I love this story. You see, they had a sister. And there was this guy who had mistreated their sister. They didn't like him very much. And so they came up with this plan. All you guys have to do is all, everybody in your whole entire village has to be circumcised in order for you to marry our sister. That's all you got to do. And so this guy convinces every single one of the males in his village to get circumcised. And on the third day when they're all in pain, horrifically disabled, unable to even get out of bed, 
Simeon and Levi go throughout the entire village and kill them all. And so because of that, they too were eliminated as suitable replacements for the scepter as well. And so that leaves Judah, the fourthborn. And Judah now is from the tribe from which we get David, and then from later on, which we get Jesus Christ, uh, the Messiah. But he did not receive the double portion. Who received the double portion? Joseph. So again, whenever we see the tribes of Israel in uh, the Bible, we only see Ephraim and Manasseh, not the tribe of Joseph, except for a couple of locations. We, we'll see it in when we get to the book of, of Revelation, if we ever do. Uh, verse 3 there, it says, uh, and I love this, this section here, this, you know, just the, the privilege of being able to, to go through uh, this section of um, the Bible here. I'm going to skip ahead here. I, I think I got chapter, the whole chapter there. <clears throat> Uh, oh, excuse me, yeah, going there to, um, uh, well, I'll have to just read it from here. Sorry about that. My notes are a little bit off here. Uh, verse 13, it says, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, This shall be the boundary by which you shall apportion the land for an inheritance among the twelve tribes of Israel. Joseph shall have two portions. You shall then apportion it. For an inheritance, each one equally with the other. For I swore to give it to your fathers, and this land shall fall to you as an inheritance. And this is where it gets really, really good. These are the boundaries of the land. The northern border will run from the Mediterranean toward Hethlon, and then on toward Lebo Hamath to the Zedad. And then it will run from Baratha to Zibarim, which are on the border between Damascus and Hamath. And finally, to Hazar Hadakam in the border of Haran. And so the northern border will run from the Mediterranean to Hazar Nin on the border between Hamath to the north, Damascus to the south. The eastern border starts at a point between Haran and Damascus and runs south along the Jordan River between Israel and Gilead past the Dead Sea. And as far south as Tamar, this will be the eastern border. Do you guys all got it in your head, right? Yeah, all, all these names that we have no clue where they are, right? It's like someone coming to Kern County and you trying to describe where Tachapi is. Or Delano, or some, you know, small town as you're going to the ocean. All, all these places that, that we know the context to. We, we've been to those places. But from someone in another area coming to visit us, it's foreign to them. So it just so happens that I got some pictures, which is good, right? And there's some maps, yes. This is uh, the first one. Yeah, you guys saw this last week. Uh, this is the even division of uh, the land, starting all the way in the north. You see that Lebo Hamath. It might be a little bit small on the overheads there, but that's the northernmost section. That's, that's the border between uh, modern-day Israel and uh, the northern kingdom uh, above it, uh, Dan there. And then all the way down to Gad, which is the southernmost 
uh, tribe. And then, of course, the Jordan River is the easternmost uh, uh, boundary. You can see how even those territories are, right? Even divisions of the land, 12 dividing lines, 13 different uh, sections. And we'll talk about the 13th in just a little bit. Verse 19, the southern border will go west from Tamar to the waters of Meribah at Kadesh and then follow the course of the brook of Egypt to the Mediterranean. This will be the southern border. And on the west side, the Mediterranean itself will be your border from the southern border to the point where the northern border begins opposite Lebo Hamath. Are there clear dividing lines in the scriptures of the inheritance of the land of Israel. Yes, there is. And this isn't the only description, by the way. There, there's many, many different also collaborative uh, descriptions of the inheritance of Israel that describe these same exact uh, boundaries. Verse 21, divide the land within these borders among the tribes of Israel. Distribute the land as an allotment for yourselves and for the foreigners who have joined you and are raising their families among you. They will be like native-born Israelites to you and will receive an allotment among uh, the tribes. This is very, very important to understand because not only will there be uh, Jews, 100% Israelites living in the land, but there will also be Gentiles as well. How does it describe these Gentiles? These are foreigners who have come into the land and long to worship God as well, that believe in the true Messiah as well. Not only that, but they will also be adopted into the various tribes and will receive an inheritance or a piece of land. In fact, in verse 23, the very last verse, it says these foreigners are to be given land within the boundary or the territory of the tribe with whom they now live. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. I remember when um, I was living in Philippines. I, I lived there for about two and a half years. And um, we were looking at building a house. Uh, but it can never be put into my name. You know why? Yeah, I'm not a Filipino citizen, right? So I can't own land in a, you know, another country by definition, right? And, and, and so everything had to be done through my wife's name, who is a uh, Filipino, was a Filipino citizen. And so everything was done through, through her name. Why? Because I couldn't own land in this country. Can Gentiles, foreign-born people, own or land in the nation of Israel during this time, believing in the Messiah as their Lord and their Savior? Yes, isn't that amazing? The adoption of Jesus Christ, not only into his heavenly kingdom, but also into this kingdom as well, the millennial uh, kingdom. This once divided land will be united under the Lord. Isn't that amazing? You see, there had only been 60 years where this land had been united under David and under King Solomon. 
every other time, it was completely divided. There had always been at least two countries. There was always the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, and they fought constantly. The tribes fought constantly during the time of the judges. Uh, they, they were always at, whether it was each other's throats or, or just independent little tribes here and there. And now finally, for the first time, they're going to be united under one king in the land that they inherit fully. It will truly be an amazing uh, time to be there. I have one more uh, picture for you guys to see. This one's actually in color. I know, I know, yeah. <clears throat> uh, th this is what I love the most about it, because the Dead Sea is going to be renamed. It no longer will say Dead Sea, it's the Eastern Sea now. It's actually going to be a real sea where fish actually live. Where the area of the Dead Sea that is literally shrinking and shrinking every single year, even up until this time, is going to be filled with living water. Fish will be there. People will be able to fish in this uh, region. All the 12 tribes will live in the land of Israel and they will all be united. Do you think Ezekiel was looking forward to this time? Do you think the Israelites looked forward to this time? Look what it says in chapter 48. This is the privilege of being able to read an Old Testament book from the perspective of a Jewish author trying to understand it from a Gentile eyes, trying to put myself in these perspectives. Are they glad for a full inheritance of the land. Wow, yes. Chapter 48. Here is the list of the tribes of Israel. And the territory each is to receive. The territory of Dan starting from the top. Starting from the northernmost section. The territory of Dan is in the extreme north. Its boundary line follows the Hethlon Road to Lebo Hamath and then runs on to Hazaranan in the border of Damascus with Hamath to the north. Dan's territory extends all the way across the land from Israel or the land of Israel from east to west. You're going to see that phrase from east to west in every single one. That line is going to be a straight line, perfectly parallel to the land, every single territory, a straight line across Asher's territory lies south of Dan's and also extends from east to west. Naphtali's land lies south of Asher, also extending from east to west. And then Manasseh's south of Naphtali, Naphtali and its territory also extends from east to west, south of Manasseh, Zephraim, and then Reuben, and then Judah, and all whose boundaries extend from east to west. Have you ever thought about, you know, why the land was divided up in certain ways? Can you put up the picture again, Jeff, please, the color one? This isn't like, you know, the oldest is at the top and the youngest is on the bottom, right? Because if that was true, then you'd have either, you know, Reuben or Dan or Joseph at the top, and then you'd have Benjamin all the way at the bottom, right? 
that this isn't according to uh, age, okay? This isn't according to, uh, you, know, uh, you know, how old they are in terms of their priority. Everything is mentioned here, as we're going to see now, this dividing line between Judah and then Benjamin after this is closeness to the temple. Who is closest to the temple? Even today, if you go to Israel, uh, the, the central section, Jerusalem itself, is in the tribe of Judah. Uh, Judah is the one from whom the scepter will come, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, reigning in uh, the city of uh, Jerusalem where the temple is at, right? And so everything is in proximity to the temple. The two favorite sons of Israel, who were they? Two favorite sons of Jacob, you guys know this. Joseph and Benjamin, look at how close they are to Jerusalem. They're on both sides, by the way. And, and then you have the next uh, oldest son. You have Reuben, and then you also have Simeon, and, uh, which is also the, the, uh, the third of the oldest sons. Then, of course, Levi is in Jerusalem itself. And then you have Ephraim and Manasseh, who were the sons of Joseph. And then all the other uh, tribes, the three tribes to the north, the three tribes to the south, were the sons of the concubines or the six other sons. And, and so it's all dependent upon closeness to the temple itself. Do you understand how, what it means to have a, a priority where, where you are closest to the temple? You're closest to the house of God. What, what that's like to be able to have easy access to the throne of God or the temple of God. Who's the closest, by the way? It's going to be the priests. The tribe of Levi, they actually get to own and be a part of the temple complex. We saw that in chapters 40 all the way up to chapters 46. And that they actually get to live in this area. I, I, I love Psalms 84, right? It's one of those beautiful psalms. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God, right? What, what is it like to want to be in the house of God constantly? That closeness to the house of God. And then to be jealous of the birds that get to live there too. Which is what the sons of Korah were. They were jealous of the birds that were living in the rafters. The, the privilege of being in close proximity to the house of God. Do you understand that it's a privilege to go into the house of God? And so the priority here is on the closeness to the tribes, to the location of uh, the temple. In fact, that's now the dividing line. Judah will be to the north. Benjamin will be to uh, the south, starting there in verse 8. South of Judah is the land set aside for a special purpose. It will be eight and a third miles wide and will extend as far east and west as the tribal territories with the temple at 
the center. What is the center point of Israel? Even today, by the way. What is the central point of Israel? It's the Temple Mount, right? It's for whom everyone, when they greet each other next year in uh, Jerusalem, right? That, that central point where, where the temple is going to be rebuilt. The center point of Israel. This is going to be the central point of the millennial kingdom as well. Verse 9, the area set aside for the Lord's temple will be eight and a third miles long and six and two-thirds miles wide. For the priest there will be a strip of land measuring eight and a third miles long by three and one-third miles wide with the Lord's temple at the center. There's another purpose for the temple being in the center. It has easy access, right? So there's no, you know, uh, point that's, or people that it's too far to travel to. It's not like in the southernmost section or in the northernmost section. It is in the center point of Israel so that people all have access to the temple as well. It's in the center of Israel. The priests are there, the sons of Zadok. It is set aside for the ordained priests, the descendants of Zadok, who served me faithfully and did not go astray. When the people of Israel and the rest of the Levites, it will be their special portion when the land is distributed, the most sacred land of all next to the priest's territories will lie the land where the other Levites uh, will live. The land allotted to the Levites will be the same size and shape as that belonging to the priest, eight and one-third miles long and three and one-third miles wide. Together, these portions of land will measure eight and one-third miles long by six and two-thirds miles uh, wide. None of this special land will ever be sold or traded or used by others, for it belongs to the Lord. It is set apart as holy. Can the land in this area ever go into debt or be somehow uh, put on the auction block. No, this land is set aside for the Lord is holy. Verse 15, an additional strip of land, eight and one-third miles long by one and two-thirds miles wide, south of the sacred temple area will be allotted for public use. Homes, pasture lands, common lands with the city at the center. The city will measure one and a half miles on each side, north, south, east, and west. Open lands will surround the city for 150 yards in every direction. Outside the city, there will be a, a farm area that stretches three and one-third miles to the east and three and one-third miles to the west along the border of the sacred land. This farmland will produce food for the people working in the city. Those who come from the various tribes to work in the city may farm it. This entire area, including the sacred lands and the city, is a square that measures eight and one-third miles 
on each side. By, by the way, every single one of these measurements adds up to this uh, measurement of eight in our uh, measurements, eight and one-third miles wide, a perfect square from which the temple itself is right in uh, the center. Verse 21, the areas that remain on the east and the west and the sacred lands and the city will belong to the prince. Each of these areas will be eight and one-third miles wide, extending in opposite directions to the eastern and western borders of Israel with the sacred lands and the sanctuary and the temple in the center. And so the prince's land will include everything between the territories allotted to Judah and Benjamin, except for the area set aside for the sacred lands and uh, the city, and by the way, we see this in the previous picture, the one that's just uh, the lines there, uh, the black and white version. Um, Jeff, if you can, yeah, pop that up. You can see it right there in the middle, even though it's kind of hard to see. It's kind of, you know, small. Uh, it's, there's a little blow up on the right-hand side. You can kind of see the, the territory there. The Levites, the priests, and then you have the various uh, portions of the land that are set aside for whether it's warehouse or gardens or storage or the various parts of the land. Everything is perfectly divided up. Verse 21 there. The areas that remain to the east and to the west of the sacred land, the city will belong to the prince. All this rest of this land will be royal land. All the west of the land on either side, the west and the east of uh, the temple will be set aside for royal land. These lands will be eight and a third miles wide, extending in opposite directions to the eastern and western borders of Israel with the sacred land and the sanctuary, the temple in uh, the city. The royal part will be next to the sacred part. Where the heart of the city's royalty will be next to the temple. That portion that King David himself longed to have. That heart to be able to worship a God. That heart that King Solomon had as well to worship a God. What is it like to have not only your religious leaders loving God. But your political leaders as well. Isn't that a great thing to have in a country? And this is the whole setup of this section that we see here in these. Even though it's a dividing up of lines, even though it's a dividing up of territory, what is the purpose? That the temple's in the center. The temple of God is the center of the country. Verse 23, these are the territories allotted to the rest of the tribes. Benjamin's territory lies just south of the prince's land. It extends across the entire land of Israel from east to west. South of Benjamin's territory lies that of Simeon, also extending across the land from east to west. This is the territory of Issachar from the east, the same eastern and western boundaries. Then comes the land of Zebulun, which also extends across the land from east to west. The territory of Gad is just south of Zebulun with the same borders to the east and the west. And the southern border of Gad runs from Tamar to the waters of Meribah at Kadesh and then follows the brook of Egypt. 
to the Mediterranean. This land that goes from the Mediterranean Ocean all the way to the Jordan River, perfectly parallel all the way up, going all the way from the territory of Dan, which borders on Damascus, all the way down to the border of Egypt, completely filled with the Israelites. The, the land will finally be inherited fully by the Israelites. Do you think Ezekiel was looking forward to this time? The Israelites looking forward to uh, this time. It says there in verse 29, the perfect summation of this wonderful time, this, this land that will be set aside for the Lord. Verse 29, these are the allotments that will be set aside for each tribe's exclusive possession. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. The seal has been put upon uh, the archaeology or the borders of Israel. That seal that is on every single property border. That seal that is there set aside. I'm the one that's setting the boundaries. No one else. Not, not UN, not some sort of a national, you know, a group of people that are coming together to determine your lands. No, I set the borders. It is God that is setting the borders of Israel. Verse 30. These will be the exits of the city. On the north wall, which is one and a half miles long. There will be three gates. Look at the names of these three gates. Each one named after a tribe of Israel. The first one will be named for Reuben. The second for Judah. The third for Levi. And on the east wall also. One and a half miles long. The gates will be named for Joseph and Benjamin and Dan. And on the south wall, also one and a half miles long, will have gates named for Simeon, Issachar, and Zebulun. And on the west wall, also one and a half miles long, the gates will be named for Gad and Asher and Naphtali. By the way, if you go to the book of Revelation, you see very something very, very similar in the city of God. Exactly the same, by the way, the, the names of the city gates itself. Except for in, you know, heaven, there will be one pearl for, for, per gate, you know, which will be a lot more beautiful. Uh, but, but can you imagine each and every single one of these gates named after an individual tribe? Verse 35. The distance around the entire city will be six miles and... From that day, the name of the city will be, the Lord is there, or Yamah Shammah. This beautiful phrase that means that God is there. By the way, you know, and I, I've been, you know, 
loving this time of year and, and, and you know you always hear the Christmas carols and and all the the different descriptions and trying to you know think of something uh, new for Christmas you know uh, the the beautiful stories and all all the way that the you know Mary and Joseph come to the land and, and the angel coming to Joseph and Mary and, and all these beautiful stories of the predictions of the prophecies the name that is always given for Jesus especially in the Old Testament and the proof of who he is in his deity there's always one name Emmanuel and what does God's name Emmanuel mean God with us very similar to this phrase Yahweh Shema the Lord is there who's going to be in the center of Israel the Messiah Emmanuel God with us. God is there. If you, you try to deny the deity of the Messiah, you're denying the name of the city. Because even the name of God is in the city. Yahweh is there. Can you imagine Ezekiel receiving these uh, visions? The first 39 chapters of this book are just horrific. You know, he, he's constantly having to deal with all these horrific things that are going on. Everybody is not listening to him. The people have turned their back upon God. He sees the city destroyed. He sees the temple destroyed. He sees the Holy Spirit leave the temple itself. And it feels like there's no good news that I'm having to tell these people. Imagine Jeremiah. Remember the book of Jeremiah when we went through the book of Jeremiah? It was all lament, lament, lament. It was, it was so uh, hard on the prophet's life, not only having to be put into a pit, but also crying out to God, woe is me. And having to deal with all the pressures of a prophet the downfalls of what it is like to be rejected by the people that God has called you to prophesy to. And now, getting this good news, what is God going to do to the land? How is God going to transform it? Will it be beautiful again? And who's going to put their stamp on it? Who's going to put their name on it? And God himself Yahweh is there, Yahweh uh, Shema. Our next book that we're going to be picking up uh, next week, uh, we'll, we'll do an intro to Daniel next week. By the way, Daniel is called a major prophet, uh, but it's not as long as the previous major prophets, thank God, okay? Uh, it won't, it's only 12 chapters, you know, even though it's considered a, a major prophet, there's four of the major prophets, we'll talk about that and then we'll, we'll talk about the, the 12 minor prophets later on. I wanted to just introduce it to you just really quickly uh, and, and just kind of whet your interest in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7 verse 1, it says this. <clears throat> This, by the way, is the dividing line between the first six chapters and, and the last six chapters of Daniel. We'll, we'll discuss why that is next week. But it says, earlier during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in De Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. 
he wrote down the dream. And this is what he saw. Have you ever had a dream before? Or maybe an answered prayer request. Or, or maybe just, you know, the Lord spoke to you. And the next morning or even the next hour you forgot what it was. Do you know why that is? Do you know why that is? Because unlike Daniel, we didn't write it down. What, what does it say there in that verse? What did Daniel do? He wrote it down. He wrote down the visions. He wrote down the dreams. He wrote down the description of the prayers that he gave. My challenge to you this year is, is you know, especially coming up on Christmas time, write down your prayers like Daniel did. That Daniel had the privilege of being able to write down these uh, prayers that he received, these, these visions that he uh, got. And so the challenge is going to be, as we go through uh, the book of Daniel, is God's going to speak to you. God, God's going to tell you uh, different things, whether it's uh, in the first six chapters where we see the, the personal life of Daniel or, or later on in the, the next six chapters, which are more supernatural or, or prophetic or apocalyptic. And God's going to speak to you. But being human, and all of us are, we are very, very easy to forget. And the challenge is going to be uh, to write it down. And, and, and by the way, if you come next week, um, there'll be notebooks in the back, okay, that, that you guys will get to write down with, okay? And, and, you know, hopefully this, you know, I know normally Wednesday nights it's a little bit uh, less populated than, you know, other nights of the week, you know, that's okay. Uh, and, and But if you're here on a Wednesday night, and, and also for you guys that normally watch online, if you're here, there'll be notebooks in the back for you. And, and the privilege is to write down what the Lord is telling you about. To, to write down what God is telling you. Maybe it's in a vision. Maybe it's in a dream. Maybe it's in something that God is uh, telling uh, you as well. Daniel chapter 1, we'll just read the first two verses here. I want to set the stage for next week. It says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Who gave King Nebuchadnezzar victory? God did. And not only is he going to take the sacred things, and by the way, those sacred things, those would have been the table of showbread. Those would have been the menorah there in the temple of King Solomon's temple, uh, by the way. The gold is going to be stripped off uh, the door uh, walls. All the gold on the inside is going to be stripped off and taken to uh, Babylon. All the cups that were used in the sacred ceremonies for the Israelites are going to be taken to Babylon. In fact, they're going to be used in uh, horrible ways. We'll see that later on in the, the book of uh, Daniel as well. 
But not only do they take the sacred things, they take the people as well. And you remember that we've been talking about Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. There were three different uh, taking the ways of people or exiles, if you will. This is the very first exile. All the best, the good looking, the ones that are the smartest and the wisest. These are the ones that are going to be taken away into uh, bondage. Verse 3 there it says, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Look at the description of these young men. And you're going to know these young men uh, by name. Not only their, their Israelite names, but their Babylonian names as well. Look at what they're described as. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. What, what, what kind of people, what kind of description of these men were Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego? What did they look like? Yeah, they were really good-looking, right? These were the cream of uh, the crop. These were the ones that not only had the ability to be able to learn, but on the outside were strong and handsome and good looking. These were the ones that would have been the royalty, the nobility of Israel. These weren't the ones like Ezekiel that was by the river Kibar. That wasn't chosen, by the way. These were the ones that weren't like Jeremiah, who was left behind in the third exile. Who, who, who by the way, by definition, if you take away the strong and the, the handsome and the wise, what are you left with? <laughs> you guys know it, right? Yeah, the, 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 the rejects. They're the ones that are left back in uh, Jerusalem. And if you remember when we first started Jeremiah, the, these were the people that Jeremiah had to deal with. These were the people that Ezekiel has to deal with. Daniel gets to live in the cream of society in the Babylonian palace. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, they, they get to live in the palace. Can you imagine that? Living in the palace. But are their trials going to be any harder Oh yeah, they're still just going to be just as hard. You see, they're going to have to deal with different trials. They're going to have to deal with, you know, as we're going to see here, and I'm sure all of you have heard the Sunday school stories. We'll, we'll go a little bit deeper into this. Uh, but they have to deal with the chief of the staff, the one who's in charge of this college of these young men. Who has to evaluate them every single day. And if they're not living up to the standards. If they're not getting those A grades. He himself is held responsible. Even to the point of death. This is a very, very harsh uh, college. So next week we'll be coming back. We'll be uh, going through this. Hopefully, and, and just the, the challenge is. Read one chapter a week. That's it. Just read one chapter a week. Uh, you'll be up to chapter uh, 7 uh, next week. You'll notice that there's a clear dividing line. 
first six chapters are going to be about a very personal life uh, of Daniel, what he's going through him and, and the other three men that are with him. And then the second group is going to be very, very different in uh, tone, very, very different in description. It's going to be very, very apocalyptic and, and very, very prophetic. So please uh, come back uh, next week. I know I will be looking forward to going through it uh, with you. And so, Father, tonight as we end it here and, and having to go from this transition, going to, from Ezekiel, this very, very uh, long, uh, detailed book, very, very descriptive, and having to deal with people that uh, reject Ezekiel, having, having to deal with people that uh, are taken away from their homeland and, and having to live on the river Kibar there in Babylon. And now going to Daniel where he's going to have a different set of problems. It's going to be in the, uh, the upper echelons of the Babylonian society. Having to deal and navigate through all these things as, as many of us do. Whatever station of life we are. Whether it's having to deal with work or whether it's having to deal with the various people that we associate with. Thank God that in every single case, you are the center. You are the common denominator. You're the one that we can go to at any time. Whether we're dealing with people that are in need and have no money or, or dealing with people that, that are very, very wealthy and think that they don't need anything. So Lord, whatever people we're going to be dealing with this coming time of the year, that this your season help us to make you the center of it this year that, that you would be the center of our christmas that we would truly understand what it means to have, have the messiah as the center of uh, christmas christ the messiah that we would truly understand that and apply it to our own lives and so as we go to this next um uh, book, I ask that you would give us wisdom as you did to Daniel. Help us to practice writing these things down. Help us to practice writing this, Lord. And so, Lord, I thank you for these. My friends, my family, I ask you bless them tonight. Use us for your glory. We thank you so much for the privilege of being able to praise you, worship you, and study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God